Hello everyone, welcome back to the Anthony podcast and today I'm joined by Alison Bettner. I would say, I would say the surname, Bettley. Hey Anthony, how you doing? I'm all right. I bet, did I say your surname correctly? Yep, you said it right. Alison Bender, that's right. So thank you for coming on. Uh, and I like to start. I like to start at the very at the be at the very beginning. So how did you how did you decide that you were that you wanted to get into sports media? Yeah, I mean I I actually started behind the camera, so I didn't start as a presenter. I was always really fascinated with television, but I started behind the scene. I know you interviewed Laura Woods and, and she started as a runner. I was the same. And I think it's a really important thing to do to start at the bottom and work your way up because then you learn everything. So I used to write scripts. I rolled auto cue. I did all the things, made teas and coffees, like everything that you need to do behind the scenes. And I did that for about 10 years, actually, uh, working my way up as a producer. And then in the end, I thought I'd give it a go presenting and I absolutely loved it. And um, well, I've been doing it for about 20 years now. Long, long time. So, so, so I guess I should have asked you, how, 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 did, you, how did you start watching football in particular? Well, my dad was a big football fan. I think for a lot of people, isn't it? You uh, you get given your team when you're young yeah. by your dad often. And it was the same for me. He was a big Chelsea fan. And he had two girls and we weren't particularly interested in football. So he would always try and take us to the football, try and get us to have a love for it. And it was quite late for me, to be honest, because I was a bit more girly girl. I preferred other things. And actually, back in those days, and you'll probably know, like girls didn't really play football at school. We weren't actually allowed. So um, it was it was a bit more difficult. But once I got a passion for it, um, I absolutely loved it. And I tried lots of different types of presenting, actually. But now I can't imagine doing anything other than football because I absolutely I love football. I I live it. I breathe it. I just I'm always thinking about football. I uh, I uh, 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 how late are we talking? Because I, I got I got into football really relatively. Relatively late. So How I'm, old were you? I think I was like 13, 14, something like that. Yeah, so for me, my dad took me to my first Chelsea game when I was about 10 years old. Um, but I didn't particularly love it. I kind of was doing it for him. And it was only when I started really working in it um, that I got an absolute love and a passion for it. And I was really lucky because I my first job was at Real Madrid TV which yeah. is a glamour job. I mean, I, I know I know how lucky I, I was. And I always tell young people who want to get in football to work their way up. And actually, weirdly, I got that big job in, in Real Madrid, but then I actually kind of had to almost take a step back and work my way back up again, just learning everything. Um, but yeah, it, it was a dream come true. I moved to Madrid and I was working with the Galacticos. So Beckham, Zidane, Raul, Roberto Carlos, yeah. All those amazing players, and it was just like the, the best job I've ever had. So, going back a little bit, obviously, you mentioned earlier uh, you started off as a runner, like a lot of people do that, like, get into the 
with the game period. But obviously nowadays with platforms like YouTube and like just social media period, you know, it, 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 basically what I'm saying is the job of a runner elite, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the job of a runner is um, there are so many different types, actually, of, of media that you can get into. And I work with a lot of young people and older people, actually, who want to get into football. And I always say to them, the best way is just to go and do it right. And just, you know, start your own podcast, have your own TikTok, have your own YouTube channel. And, you know, we're so lucky now that everyone has a platform, right? Everyone can have a voice and people can have a niche and, you know, people can follow them. So I often think that if you're trying to find a job in TV, the best way to do it is to do it yourself and show that company that you can do it and that you have a passion and, you know, maybe you're doing things differently. And I just think we're really lucky. We live in a world now where everyone can give it a go because when I started out, you, you know, you had to have a camcorder, then you had to kind of like deliver a tape to a TV company and maybe they'd watch your tape. Maybe that would get lost in the post. But now it's so brilliant. You can just send them your YouTube channel, right? And you're away. So I just think there's just so much opportunity right now for people. Uh, so, 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 uh, so, it, it, so, 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 is the job of a runner still something that you would recommend to people? Or would you recommend them just starting their own platform? Actually, both. I think starting your own platform is brilliant, but I still think the job of a runner is just, it's so fantastic. I would be a runner now again. I just loved it, honestly. Just to be in different companies, to see the way that people work, you meet so many brilliant people. And actually, there are good runners and there are bad runners. You, you see runners that just want to kind of get out of there and finish their day. But you see runners that just do that job so well that you know that they're going to go far. And actually, I've worked with some great runners who have progressed so quickly that I'm now contacting them for jobs because they are you know, running channels and they were my runner years ago. So it just shows how far and how fast you can go if you're good and you work hard. Yeah, you mentioned I've seen you mention before that you that you took it upon yourself to learn, to learn everything about like the media, like writing scripts, like the cameras and things like that. Before we we like oh, you know. At, at first, at first, did you, did you have, did you have any preconceptions about writing, about writing scripts? Like, did you think it can be easier than what it was? Definitely, it's it's actually a real skill, and the, like a lot of things in TV look so easy. Like even speaking to camera looks easy, but when you do it. And when the lights are on, you know, you get nervous, you say things you don't mean to say. And same with writing. Like, I actually find writing under time pressure much more difficult than I thought. 
So I'd always say to people as well, watch a game of football and try writing a match report within like five minutes of the whistle blowing at the end. And it's so hard. I mean, just take the game the other night between Manchester United and Spurs, right? If you'd written that match report at the beginning, it was all about glory, glory, Man United. And then suddenly it was all about Spurs fighting back, you know? And it's really hard to change that script so quickly in your mind. Um, so writing is a skill and there are some wonderful journalists out there. And I just think the more you read and the more you're willing to look at what other people are doing, the better you'll become. And I just, again, I, I find it such a privilege to going to press conferences and meeting all these wonderful journalists who make it look so easy. And also writing scripts for TV is quite difficult because it's a bit different. Um, you don't speak in the same way as you would, you know, write a script for, for the written press. So it's all skills that you should be learning. And I also think like be yourself, be you. There's lots of people that try and do that kind of football speak and all sound the same. But I love it when I discover someone who has their own style and they're just authentically them. Um, so I always think just don't waste your time trying to be someone else. Um, be the best version of yourself. Well, when would you, when would you say you, you became confident in what what you did like writing and producing and things like that or are you or are you still sometimes not confident in yourself it's a really good question because actually i think generally speaking now i'm pretty confident and i don't get too nervous but every now and again if i try something new um you do get a sting of nerves and i think it's good actually because it gives you adrenaline and it makes you perform but recently I went back to Sky Sports, Sky Sports News, and you know, having all the different cameras, different angles, different size of script in front of you, it can be a bit nerve wracking. And to your question, when did I become confident? It took a long time, I have to say, I was busy proving myself because I know you spoke with Laura Woods about this as well. Being a girl in football is, is tricky and people always assume you don't really know it. And I worked so hard to make sure I was on every detail. I spoke to coaches, I would read tactical books, refereeing books, just making sure I knew everything. And I think knowledge gives you confidence. So the more I learned, the more confident I became, but it did take a good 10 years, to be honest. I, I, would, I would agree with that, but I would imagine, I would imagine because you were so, because you were so eager to prove, to prove yourself, you could, I, I guarantee them in three times where you would have over prepared and you, you must have overthought it somewhat. Yeah, you are so right. I literally overthought and over prepared everything. I remember presenting Europa League for ITV and I turned up with stacks of notes and my producer was like, Alison, what are you doing? Like, there's no way you're going to need all these notes. But I was just, I always, I always think I, there's, I don't want to find something that I don't know. And so even if you don't use any of that stuff, the fact that it's in there, but now that I'm a bit older, a bit more experienced, I definitely am able to sort of take my foot off the brakes a bit, uh, but I still really over-prepare. You should see the stacks of notes that I make for every single time that I'm on TV. And so would you, obviously you don't have to go into every little detail, but would you mind? Would you mind taking them through like a average match day, like your your job in particular? 
Yeah. So I think it's really good to talk about this because lots of people don't know what a, an average match day looks like. Um, so let's just use, for example, a three o'clock pickoff at Stamford Bridge. Yeah. So you always arrive probably two and a half hours before kickoff, sometimes more. Um, so we're looking at one, one o'clock, 12.30. And so usually I start my day really, really early going through the my notes that I've made the night before. Usually on a Friday night, I stay up making all my notes. I always make sure that I know the starting 11 from the last game and obviously all the team news. So I'll have watched the manager's press conferences. Probably I'll go there in person, but sometimes I'll just watch them on YouTube now, which is really handy. Um, um, the, the starting 11 is really important because when the team news breaks, it's my job to go in front of the camera and say the team news as soon as it's happened. And so you need to know how many changes, what formation. And so I tend to read a lot of fan blogs actually and fan sites it's really good to get a sense of what people are expecting, what formation the fan thinks is going to happen. Um, so all of those notes, everything just kind of is in my head ready. When I get to the game, I usually give myself a couple of hours in the press room. And that normally takes a while because there's lots of journalists that you know and you're saying hi to. But I try and get myself in the zone, always read the programme notes because there's always some real gems in there. And I think it's really good when you're speaking to camera to be able to use those program notes as well. And then after the after the match, when I do my interviews with the players, um, you, you never know how long you're gonna be waiting for a player. So sometimes you're there for a good hour, hour and a half after the game. And then obviously then I do all my social media. And sometimes that takes me well into the night because I've taken so many videos. That I want to you know package them up for TikTok and for Instagram. So it's a long day. So so when you're in the media room, from, like nowadays, how would it change? How would it change from when you started like actually covering games and going going to press conferences? Yeah, it's a really good question because it's changed so much. When I first went into a press room, I was so daunted because I was probably the only girl. There were some girls, but not always. And I always tried to really fit in. I wanted to not stand out. So I'd actually dress a bit like a man. It's quite funny. I would always wear like jackets. I'd cover myself up. I wouldn't put much makeup on because I didn't want to stand out as this girly girl, if you like, which is so silly. Um, because now I'm confident enough to be myself. I'll sit in the front row, I'll chat to all the journalists. Before I used to kind of be like a little mouse and kind of come in and just kind of hide. But I'm actually going to see Marco Silva later at Fulham and I just, I feel like a different person. I feel confident, I feel I know my questions, I know what I want to ask. Um, I feel more relaxed. I used to get very nervous when I was asking a question. I felt like everyone was staring at me. What's the girl gonna ask? Is it going to be a stupid question? Um, you know, it, it, it's tough, but and, and it still is tough. You still do get some social media abuse. Um, I know you're on Twitter a lot, so you've seen it, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it's getting better. Yeah, de definitely. So when, when you're interviewing a manager, like as you say, today, today at the time of recording, you're interviewing Mark Silva. So, so when you're interviewing a manager, how obviously, obviously, you research, but how do you approach 
uh, and then speaking the manager differently to how you how you would approach and then speaking the player apart from the obvious of course. Yeah, it's funny because I was just thinking this today. It's really weird, but I'm now the same age as managers. So before I used to always be looking up to the managers. They were this, you know, they were much older than me and um, obviously they vary. I'm not the same age as Roy Hodgson, <laughs> but I am the same age as Marco Silva. And so suddenly I feel like a bit more on a different level. And I, I try to empathize with their life actually, because obviously they're a manager, but they're also often a parent, a husband, you know, they have other roles in life. And I try, I, I like to get something out of them that's a bit more empathetic because I think that everyone has a different style. Some people will talk more tactically. I studied psychology at university and I find sports psychology and sports science fascinating. So I always try and tap into that. Um, when I was doing my research for this one, it's Fulham against Manchester City. So obviously De Bruyne and Haaland and all those amazing players. And I want to know what Marco Silva thinks about it, sort of as a football lover, as well as a manager. Obviously, you want to stop these guys, but you also must feel like it's an absolute joy and a privilege to watch those players playing against your team um, if you love football. So I just always try and think about how I can get a slightly different answer when I go into those interviews. And, and that takes a while, really just thinking about um, exactly how I'm going to ask a question, not just what the question is. So obviously, uh, so when you're in press conferences, obviously, obviously, sometimes there can be a lot of I don't know this a lot, a lot of a lot of unrelated questions. The games, so I, I, just as a football fan, like in, internally, can it get can it get can it get a bit a bit. Restrain sometimes. Yeah, there's there's always some people that want the big headline as well. And they want to know, I don't know, if something's happened outside of the football world, they might want a, a, an example on that. Um, and yeah, sometimes you just want to talk about the football and there's people who are just trying to grab headlines. And But I also understand it's part of their job. Yeah. So when you're working for Sky, for example, you have to get a big headline. So it just depends who you're working for. Me, I feel, I feel like, I feel like, this is just my personal opinion. I feel like sometimes they, they ask questions that they, that they know that the manager can say the same thing as what he did last week. Yeah, it's so boring. Honestly, it's so boring and it's, it's hard because you almost have to ask it. So, you know, every time I speak to Jurgen Klopp, for example, I feel like I'm always asking about top, top four race. And I know he's always going to say game by game, and it's so boring, but it's almost like you kind of, you sort of have to ask those, those cliche questions. And I agree with you. Sometimes it would just be nice to just forget that and, and ask something else because you know you're going to get a boring answer. And it's a wasted question. But I guess it's about having the courage to ask something a bit left field straight away. So often you want to go in with the soft and gentle questions and then you want to get to the question that you really want to ask. But I think it takes a really courageous person to go in with something really quirky straight away, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Can you, can you remember your first question in a press conference? I know, obviously, I know it's been 20 years, but 
Can you remember it? Oh, that is such a good question. Can I remember my very first question? Who would that have been? Do you know what? I can. I can. So my it wasn't a press conference, but my first football interview was with David Beckham at Real Madrid. And I asked him such a dumb question, but it was basically because he was in a he was in a film called Goal. And I said to him, I know you're a footballer, but is this a step into Hollywood or some stupid question? And it's so funny. Every time you ask a question, you're like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Um, but it, I just couldn't help it. But he gave me a really good answer, actually. But my first manager press conference would probably have been Jose Mourinho at Chelsea because I was at Chelsea TV. And I used to always ask very tactical questions back then to prove to everyone that I understood football. Um, so, yeah, that's what I used to do. It would have definitely been an, an opposition tactical question, but I don't remember it, unfortunately. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that, that I'm assuming that with his first, his first stint at Chelsea, like the 04 times. Exactly. Yeah, it was the first time. And actually, when he got sacked that first time, that was one of my most shocking football moments ever. I mean, now we're so used to managers being sacked all the time, but he was just so good for Chelsea. And obviously it had started to turn sour, but I just never, ever thought that Abramovich would actually sack him. And I remember being, I remember working at Stamford Bridge that day and I had to break the news and I was almost shaking because I just couldn't believe it. It was, su it was such shocking news. In hindsight, it's not. It's not that It's not that surprising in hindsight, though, is it really? No, not at all. And actually, it, I mean, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but football's just so crazy. I mean, if you told me that Jose Mourinho was going to go to Spurs and then come back to Chelsea, I just would not have believed you. I mean, football is absolutely bonkers, and the fact that Lampard is back at. Chelsea and oh poor Lampard, he's having such a tough time. I I really feel for him. I have to say. And and according to the according to the reports, in the summer, quite quite he's going to Chelsea. According to the reports, so if that does happen, obviously that will be a former Spurs man. Spurs manager going going to Chelsea. So that will be. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a huge fan of Pochettino. I love working with him. He's brilliant with the media. He really is great to interview. Um, I also think he's a very good manager. I think he's really good at developing young players. I think there's so many, and he's got great Premier League experience. So personally, I would welcome him at, to Chelsea. But you're right, there's a lot of Chelsea fans that just do not like him because he's five years, five and a bit years at Spurs. And that's just, they're just never going to get over that. But we've got to remember. Mourinho went to Spurs. This happens, you know. You, you, if you want to get a decent manager, they will have managed in other um, clubs. But I, I, I like Poch. I hope he comes. So going back to you, they obviously worked at a lot of places. As you just said, you worked at Chelsea TV, Madrid TV, SP, I can't say, SP, SP, ESPN. Yeah, in the States. And Sky Sports. So out of all of them places, what what did you what did you learn from each place that maybe well definitely did 
definitely did help you in your journey. Yeah, every single place I've worked has helped me on my journey and um, all for different reasons. So going to the, the States, going to America and working for ESPN was just incredible because it made everything in England so, seem so small. So ESPN is absolutely massive. And so when I was getting ready for one of my shows, it would be one of maybe 20 shows that were taking place that day. There were five different dressing rooms and, and makeup rooms. And so I did feel like a little, a small fish in a gigantic pond, you know? Um, but I did really notice that people were a lot more respectful of women talking about football over there. I think it's a lot more of a thing for women to play football and for women to speak about football. And so I got a lot of respect that I'd never had before, um, which really gave me confidence. I also had a wonderful boss who always gave me brilliant feedback. So every time I did a show, good or bad, he would sit me down after the show and speak to me about, you know, what, what went wrong, what, what, what could have done, gone better. And that was amazing. Um, Sky Sports, I found, um, was just brilliant because it was so varied. So I could be doing a championship club one day, I could be at Wembley the next on an FA Cup final. Um, and I just found the variety just brilliant. But you have to constantly be doing research. You have to be up on everything. And when I was doing Sky Sports News, I had to do cricket and golf and rugby and starts and boxing. I know you're a big boxing fan as well. Yeah. And so that was really hard to be on top of all the sports, but it made me a more rounded individual. So I learned a lot from all my different places. So, so I will, I will, I will, I've got two more questions. Uh, I'll be sure. wrap it up. So I, I've heard you mention that while, that while you were that guy sports. You you were having your first, I believe it was your first child or it might have been it might have been your second child. But anyway, you mentioned that you felt like you had to you had to hide. How did that affect your yeah, how did that affect your mental health? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm very, I've got a lot of really great support around me. I've got a wonderful husband, really good family, very grounded. Um, and I try not to take TV too seriously, you know, because I've got friends. I mean, my one of my really good friends is a heart surgeon, right? And when her job goes wrong, people lose their lives. And so I think sometimes you've got to remember, you know, even though there's a lot of scrutiny and there's a lot I have to put up with, I'm really privileged to do the job that I do and I love it and I don't want to complain too much, but it can be cruel. People can be really rotten. And sometimes I just think, why do people do that? Why do they think it's okay just to get on Twitter and criticize the way I look or the way I sound or something that I said? I just wish people would be kinder. I mean, I know I'm, I'm you know, shouting at a brick wall but i i just want people to remember it's one of the things my mum taught me when i was a kid just being kind um she said i don't care what you do in life as long as you're kind and and it stuck with me and i try and be kind and helpful as much as possible um there's just too much nastiness out there and that's why actually anthony that's why i call it out i don't call it out because i'm upset and i want people to say oh poor allison I call it out because it's unacceptable and I don't want people to think that they can do that. And that is why I call it out. So I hope people understand that. A lot of people say, oh, don't be so sensitive. And it's not me being sensitive. It's me being, um, you know, open about the fact that we shouldn't be 
doing this because you never know what's going on in someone's life. But in the early days, or even when you, even when you, even when you were pregnant, did you did you ever the did you ever did you ever have the thought to like just quit basically? Till it just got too much like the, like the hard scrutiny and and that, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And and actually, a few very good female broadcasters have said recently that they almost quit. Um, I remember um, Rebecca Lowe, who's, you know, the voice of the Premier League in the USA. She said that she nearly quit when she was on BT Sport because she got so much abuse. I I don't think I've ever nearly quit because I've put so much of my life into this. I mean, literally, I've sacrificed so much. It's all I know how to do. It's all I've ever done. So I've never wanted to give it up entirely. But sometimes I, I have felt very down in the dumps. And I, you know, it is hard. And, and I know people don't have much sympathy, but just small things like, you know, going to a World Cup is amazing. And I absolutely love travel. But as a, as a new mother, I had to leave my little girl behind. And she was only one. And it was just one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and it's really hard to get sympathy for things like that, because people are like, well, stop complaining, you're not down a coal mine, or you're not, you know, um, but people forget that there are mental challenges um, that are tricky and there isn't much support. It is getting better. Um, but yeah, I know a lot of women have been very close to quitting. Not me, but I I have been very down about it, That put it that way. So what, so what would you like to do, Jane? And my final question, what would, what? What what would you like to leave as your legacy and work, if you know what I mean? Yeah, um, I always ask that question. That's one of my questions that I ask people about their legacy when I interview footballers. Um, but I've never been asked it myself. My legacy. I mean, it's funny because lots of young girls contact me now because I've started Twitter. Um, sorry, TikTok. I love TikTok. And um, lots of young girls say to me, um, they didn't know that this job existed. So thank you for talking about it. And I love that. I love the fact that I'm showing women, young girls, that this is a, a job that you can do. So I guess I hope my legacy would be that I've encouraged um, some, some young girls to follow their dreams. Not just girls, guys as well. Like anyone who has a dream, um, I think it is possible if you work hard enough um and you and you you know you meet the right people and you're good to people to to chase dreams so i would like my legacy to be that i gave people the possibility of um living their dreams i suppose so thank you for coming on alison do you want to promote anything oh yeah thanks um so you can follow me on all my social media channels so I'm the same everywhere. So on Twitter, I'm at Ali Bender TV, same on Instagram. But I would always say, if you've got a TikTok, come and follow me on TikTok because I'm much more fun over there. You can't be fun on Twitter because you get you get slammed. But on TikTok, I dance, I sing, I mime. I um, uh, I just don't take myself so seriously and I love it. So yeah, come along and, and be nice. <laughs> okay, thank you for coming on, Alison. I want to be respectful of your time. I hope you have a good day. Absolute and pleasure. So thank you for watching, everybody. And thank you for the support as of late. It means a lot. And I will speak to you, and I will speak to you later.
Thank you once again. Thanks, Anthony. That was great questions. Thank you so much. That go well? Yeah. Ace. That's brilliant. How long have you been doing this channel?